Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 7, The Initiative. Did I say that right? The Initiative. <laughs> uh, I love how, like, 90% of what you've got out is just you mispronouncing words. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll keep that in so people get a little taste of what actual <laughs> recording is like for us. Um, another Episode 7. Remember Episode 7s of this show are supposed to be, you know, big ones? Big, big wham-bam thank you ma'am kind of episode didn't annie tell us <laughs> I, that one i wouldn't time? <laughs> have described it that way myself steph but yes i do remember that i remember it was longtime listener annie who wrote in and, and told us about that and uh yeah that's i was looking forward to this episode coming up i do remember a lot about this episode there were a couple of things i had forgotten though so i'll and i'll mention that when they come up but you know this is I, overall, I feel like it's a very good episode. It's a very strong episode in many ways. It, it's got a few things to it that kind of made me go, huh. You know, things that either didn't age well or just a little, you know, standard questionable Buffy stuff. Yeah, this was a very disjointed episode for me. Like there were ups, there were downs, everything. Like a lot of things happened, but then not a lot happened, right? Like it, it's it's pointing us down a very specific direction with this episode, but it's not like we're getting there. It just points us there. And I think that's where I, I fall in this episode. One thing I did notice in this episode was how clumsy Buffy is. <laughs> mm. Like, obviously they're amping up the Riley-Buffy relationship or romantic story arc. Uh, so all of a sudden Buffy has to be your classic rom-com klutzy lead girl i didn't see her as being clumsy i'll talk about that when we get to the first scene here okay good so well let's get into it because yeah there's lots to talk about episode seven we start off with someone's voiceover in the cafeteria saying women young nubile (laughs) i know you love that word so much um exciting each one a mystery waiting to be unlocked. Okay, so yeah, we're it's, it's we're one line into the episode. I got to pause right here. This is literally what I did when I was watching. I was going to have dinner, so I put the episode on, listened to that one line, paused to go heat up my dinner. What a line. <laughs> I did not expect to hear the word nubile again. To, it just brings flashbacks to season one, episode nine, the puppet show. Like, that was a ventriloquist's puppet that was announcing Buffy as being nubile. And here we have another person, an actual human male, looking at Buffy as nubile. I, I, I didn't realize until doing this podcast with you, Steph, that I hate this word with a <laughs> fiery passion now. And even just the whole idea of, oh, you know, women are a mystery waiting to be unlocked. It's like, I can see how that's flattering in a way but it's flattering in a kind of sexist way chauvinistic way of like 
yeah, like that that's your excuse for not spending the time to actually just understand what your girlfriend wants. Yeah, and it's also coming from a man who is objectifying women in the cafeteria, right? And who who is it? It's a young black man talking to Riley, and Riley's grading papers at this table, and that's what he's saying about them, right? They're young, they're nubile, ooh, ooh, ooh. So, you know, it's just in the way that he's speaking about women, we know that it's coming from an objectifying lens and a misogynistic lens. So, like, you're right, like, it could be a compliment, but not from this man. So he's saying, uh, think any of them will show because the party would be lame if we lack for hotties. And Riley's like, uh, he's not listening. And he's like, I'm grading papers. They're due at three. And uh, this guy, we don't know his name yet. He notices someone and says, check her out. Is she hot or is she hot? And who is it? It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who is overfilling her drink cup. Like she's got like a, she has the Coke machine or the pop machine and she's trying to fill it up and she overflows it because she's a klutz. And Riley says, she's Buffy. The guy, and the guy's like, oh, Buffy, I like that. The girl's so hot, she's Buffy. And he's like, that's her name, Forrest. So now we know that his name is Forrest. And Forrest is excited that Riley already knows who she is. And he's like, well, what do you think of her? And Riley's like, I've never really thought about what I think about her. And Forrest is in disbelief because he's like, a girl that cute in the face and you form no opinion. And Riley's like, she's all right, I guess. She's just kind of, I don't know. Peculiar. I can't even say this word. Peculiar. Peculiar. (laughs) And uh, that's when Buffy just straight up breaks the ice cream machine that she's at. She's filling up. It's like a yogurt, like a frozen yogurt machine. It's like soft serve. Yeah, it's frozen yogurt. I'm jealous of all this stuff that this cafeteria has. My university cafeteria wasn't this swank. Well, I mean, it's called Freshman 15 for a reason. (laughs) It's because you, like at my cafeteria, we did have all this stuff and uh, like buffet every day. And you just go to, you go to town. You're like, I'm going to have frozen yogurt every day for lunch. A a guy named Graham sits down and Forrest Forrest asks him if Buffy is mattressable mattressable i've never heard that before that is i I, yeah i wrote that down in my notes because i could have let nubile pass okay he's a he's a horny young adult man i get it i get it you're objectifying women okay mattressable this is rape culture right here it's so gross. I've actually never heard that term until Forrest said it just now. And I'm like, ooh. I don't think uh, it's, I think it's a Joss Whedon term. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't, write into us listeners if you've had that term used about you or if you have used that term, <laughs> we will offer you amnesty. Just don't yeah. do it again. And I will add that a man wrote this script for this episode. Um, I had well, to look even it Well, even if a man didn't, like, we know that Joss Whedon rewrote, like, a lot of went them. over scripts a lot right yeah and, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. but yeah, I, I had so. to i looked up who wrote this script for a different reason so here's <laughs> you know here here's another reason good to know yeah so he says that um riley isn't he's like to his friend forrest says to graham riley isn't down he doesn't like her and riley says i don't dislike her she never feels like she's really there when you talk to her i like a girl i can get a grip on and forrest's like i bet you do and to be fair this is true for riley because when he does talk to buffy like at least in Beer Bad and a little bit before, she does not pay attention to him, right? And we said it before. We're like, that's kind of rude, Buffy. <laughs> like you're just blatantly not listening right. to him. Th- yeah. Something that's interesting about this episode, and this is not the first episode to do this, but it- it's rare enough that I-, I feel I should comment on it. Um, we don't hear from Buffy in the opening scene, like right up until the credits. 
we see Buffy, but we don't actually get to hear her talk. So I like that we're getting this outsider's perspective on her. Mm-hmm. And that that goes into what I, I want to say about this idea that she's being clumsy. Um, so what happens next? So Graham says maybe she's Canadian, <laughs> which made me laugh. I was like, hey. We are, we, we are peculiar chicks, okay? We, like, we are, but you know what? I've never broken an ice cream machine. <laughs> so... Bora says, hey, didn't she go out with Parker Abrams for like 30 seconds? And Riley's like, well, there's a sign of good taste. And I was like, uh, rude, Riley. Who the hell have you dated in the past? Okay, like we're not we're not we're not going to judge Buffy for her poor taste in Parker. Maybe Riley also dated Parker. That's why he knows. He was also stood up by Parker <laughs> and spent three episodes getting over it. Um, Forrest says that you got to admit she's major league hottie. And Riley's <sighs> like, I'm not denying she's easy on the eyes. And he here, Buffy trips over and drops her whole lunch, her, her pop and her ice cream that took her, you know, that took so much to, to get out of these machines. She drops them. So Riley says, would you really want to go out with her? And Forrest says, hell yes. A lot of guys would okay. like to get their hands on her. So I don't, I don't have any defense for Buffy tripping. Maybe it was just a crowded cafeteria that day. But... As far as her being a klutz, and that's why, you know, she was breaking these things, what I saw this as is Buffy doesn't know her own strength sometimes, right? She has that Slayer super strength. So what I feel is happening here is this is a normal day for Buffy. She just goes through her day accidentally breaking things. Mm -hmm. You know, we see that in a later scene where she's in class and her pen malfunctions, Mm -hmm. which I think is because she broke it. So this is just... Every day for Buffy, she just breaks things because she doesn't realize her strength. But because we're seeing it from Riley and the other's perspective, since they don't know she's the Slayer, to them it looks like this kind of peculiar klutziness. Whereas those of us who know she's the Slayer understand that she just can't help herself. Yeah, and that's totally fair. I think it's just because it was so layered on at the very beginning of the scene. Plus, she's being objectified by these men. And not just them, but later, now it comes to Spike, who's also object- like thinking about her. He would also like to get his hands on her, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I just, and like, I mean, her, her the vision of her through the male gaze, it, just like the fact that she's, you know, seems weak. She's tripping over herself. She's weird. I mean, it's just a weird side to Buffy that we don't see as often as maybe we should. Um... We cut to Spike, who is lying on a floor. He's parched because his lips are all chapped. Uh, And he's saying in his sleep, he's saying, Slayer, I'll kill you. Not so tough. I'll kill you, Slayer. (laughs) And he slowly wakes up and he realizes that he's in this room. And there's a, it's like all white walls around and a white floor. uh, And there's a glass wall in front of him that he touches and it electrocutes him. So... It pans back, and outside of this room, there are multiple rooms with walls. Like, I don't know how else to say this. Like, these little, like, creature rooms. Um, and they're full cells. of other... Yeah, cells. Yeah, they're, they're full of other creatures, like vampires and demons. And there are men in lab coats and clipboards walking in the hallway between the cells. It's actually a rather impressive operation, I have to say. Yeah, and if you've ever seen Cabin in the Woods, which is a Joss Whedon film that came out a couple years later, uh, this this kind of gives me the same vibe as what happens in that movie. So we cut to the credits, and Oz, Oz is gone, Seth Green is gone from the credits, and he's replaced by James Marsters. (gasps) So Spike is 
Spike is going to be a bigger deal now. The big bad is back, maybe. Okay, so we cut to Giles and Xander, who are just chilling at Giles' apartment. Yeah, Giles and Xander are just hanging out. Yeah, they're, Giles, they're buds. Giles, have you really sunk this low? Seriously, they're both waiting around to be useful, basically. Typical men. <laughs> Giles is drawing the army guy that Buffy described in the last episode, and Xander is suggesting that they like do their own little witchcraft, like they do like that they do their own like Ouija board, light some candles, summon some sort of ancient unstoppable evil, blah, 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 so that they'll be useful again. And um, Giles is saying this is unethical as Buffy enters the house. And she says um, that the drawing he did is accurate, but she's not patrolling tonight because there's, she's going to a party. And Giles is like, well, someone ought to find out who these army people are, Buffy. And Buffy's like, well, Giles, I'm in a dorm now. The girls in my hall want to party. Willow needs cheering up. I'm going to take her. And I was like, oh, so all of a sudden you have friends in your dorm, Buffy, <laughs> that you go to parties with? Unheard of. Well, maybe not friends, but yeah, people she passes in the hallway. Again, I never lived the dorm life, so I don't know how accurate this is, but... I, I like, you know, Buffy's asserting herself in this scene. This is very different from a season or two ago where she Giles would be like, you're patrolling. And she'd be like, oh, do I have to? I wanted to go to the bronze or something. But ultimately yeah. she'd patrol, right? Like Giles had that authority over her. And now things have changed. And Giles advises her and mentors her. But he can't order her to do things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Buffy says Willow has been living in a black hole of despair since Oz left. And Buffy says that she's dealing, I'm helping, it's hard, ergo, party. Yeah, fair. So remember last time when Buffy said that uh, someone is dealing, she was talking about Jonathan who was going to die by suicide in earshot, but then he, she saved him. And then the next day she was just like, he's dealing. <laughs> so that gave me a horrible flashback to that episode. Mm. Um but Buffy says that um, Giles and Xander should patrol because why not? And she's going to go find something slutty to wear. And I laughed at that joke and I was like, good for you, Buffy. Take back the word slutty. Uh, but at the same time, that's why I looked up who wrote this episode because uh. I was like, does it mean as much to me? Because I, I, I liked that Buffy said that a lot. But then I'm like, mm, a man wrote this episode. So like... Who knows what he meant yeah, when you put that I, in her mouth. Again, you know, I'm willing to be charitable. I liked this scene a lot, and I, I really liked her comment there, you know, yeah. because she deserves to wear something slutty when she wants to. Mm -hmm. And I like that she's asserting herself and her sexuality. It, it feels very Buffy to me. It feels like a natural progression from the Buffy that we saw in previous seasons, who was always asserting her independence um, from the men in her life and what she wanted to wear. Now her language is just evolving because she's getting older, and I like that. Well, and something significant must have happened between Beer Bad and this episode because <laughs> uh, in Beer Bad, remember, she was sad. She was like, I'm a slut. And they're like, no, you're not. You're not a slut. Like Xander was saying that, yeah, right? Yeah, so... Willow probably like threw a whole bunch of feminist texts at her. Yeah, good, good. So that's I, I like that line too. I just had to be like, wait a second. <laughs> There's always an underlining little bit of man writing in there right so spike is pacing in his cell and there's a buzzing and a black and a blood packet falls from the ceiling like a blood bag dinner in a bag falls from the ceiling right? like it's <laughs> everywhere in this show we're not making this up people you could watch this episode 
Yeah, it's right there. And Spike's about to have it because who wouldn't want a delicious dinner in a bag? And the someone says, don't drink it. It's drugged. So it's the vampire who's in the cell next to him. And we recognize him from the freshman. He was the one of Sunday's gang members who escaped and then was first tased in that first episode. So Spike's like, who are you? And he says, I'm a rat. I'm a lab rat, rat just like the others. They're going to kill us, you know. And Spike's like, how? And he says, they starve you. And when you're ready to bite your own arm off, they shoot out one of those packets. You drink and the next thing you're gone. That's when they do the experiments. And Spike's like, well, who are they? Are they government, Nazis, major cosmetic company? And the guy says, all I know is one minute I'm running from the Slayer and the next thing I'm here. And of course, (laughs) Spike says, the Slayer. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. And the guy said, the the vampire says that she took apart my crew and led me straight to these guys. And Spike says, set me up too. And I'm like, she so does not. Like, this is such a, a vampire thing to do that we've been seeing since season one, where these vampires just love to blame Buffy for everything. Do you remember like in What's My Line when Spike was like freaking out saying like Buffy's the reason I haven't like yeah. gotten what I need. It's like that's not true. And then the Gorch brothers with the bad eggs where they're like you did this and she's like how? <laughs> like this is just always always, yeah. always Buffy's well, fault. It makes sense though because <laughs> the Slayer is the boogeyman for vampires and as much as Spike likes to brag about how he killed two previous Slayers at the end of the day Spike is scared of Buffy. That is part of why he directs this strange antagonistic misogyny towards her. It's not just that he wants to kill her because she's the Slayer. It's she's the Slayer who has escaped him multiple times, outwitted him, outfought him. You should be scared, Spike. (laughs) Also, Spike, like, why do you suck at being a vampire so bad? He's so bad well, at We'll it. get there. We'll get there, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So Spike says, I always worried what would happen if that bitch got some funding. So she's like, well, she wised up a bit. Fine, I'll take her apart. I don't know. I don't care how brilliant she is. So we cut to Buffy, whose pen has exploded all over her. And then she's rubbing it on her notes because, again, this is another thing where I was like, damn, Buffy, like, you're so klutzy. But like you're saying, like, you know what? She just can't, she can't, she squeezes her pen too hard when she's taking notes. So uh, she's next to Willow in class, in sight class, obviously the only class that she's ever taken at the school. And it ends, and Willow goes up to Riley, and she says uh, that he left someone's name out of the roll call, Daniel Osborne. And two things here, Kara. The first is, do they do a roll call for every class because this is a huge class. They just spend 10 minutes every morning doing roll call. That's wild. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, most of my most of my classes, they didn't even bother taking attendance. Like this whole right? thing about like, you know, oh, if you miss another. It's like nobody cared. The professor didn't care if you came to class. Like all they cared about was if you handed in the assignments. And if you didn't, they just fail you like. Yeah, and that they get their pay. He's like, your money's mine already. So come or don't come. I don't care. So also... I forgot. Did we know that Oz's name was Daniel? Like, I forgot that his name was Daniel. I believe it's been established once or twice before. Um, You know, that's why he was sitting next to Willow Rosenberg in graduation day, because his last name is O. And yeah, yeah, I I don't remember the last time it was mentioned. But yeah, we knew Oz is we knew Oz was a nickname for him. Yeah, I just I forgot. I was like, Dan, he's so not a Dan. So Riley says that he's not in this class anymore. He heard that he dropped out. 
And Willow gets upset and she's like, he's not gone. He just left temporarily to work out a few things, but I assure you, Oz will be back. And Professor Walsh comes up behind her and she's like, not to my class, he won't. Oh my God. So like, <laughs> there, you didn't need to intervene here, Professor Walsh. You could have just... Riley covered it. <laughs> yeah, like you, you could have just not said something. You could have yeah. not opened your mouth. But yeah. no, Maggie Walsh woke up today and she chose to be a grade A dick. Yeah, as she does every day. And then she goes on to be like, I'm not a freshman, nor am I a narcissist. So I have to consider the whole class. And like, again, the whole class doesn't give a shit. Um, She says, like, if your friend cannot respect my schedule, I think it's best he not come back. So that upsets Willow. Obviously, she leaves. Buffy comes up behind Professor Walsh and says, you know, for someone who teaches human behavior, you might try showing some. And Walsh says, it's not my job to coddle my students. And Buffy's like, you're right. A human being in pain has nothing to do with your job. And she leaves and Walsh turns to Riley and is like, I like her. (laughs) And Riley's like, really? You don't think she's a little peculiar? (laughs) It's the word of the episode, apparently. Yeah, well, I mean, Buffy is a klutzy, peculiar girl. We now cut to Xander and Giles, who are in Xander's basement, because anybody can come down there. I don't know who let Giles in this time and whether they need to put fabric softener in. (laughs) Um, And there's apparently some army gear down there. Also, Giles is snacking on some old chips that Xander has. (laughs) Not a fan. Yeah. Um, so he's like, where did you get all this stuff? And Xander's like, oh, I requisitioned it back when I was military guy. So this is a callback to uh, the season two Halloween episode when Xander temporarily took on the memories of a soldier because that was the costume he was wearing. And uh, we've seen him use this knowledge a couple of times before. And Giles calls back to the fact that this was two years ago. And he's like, are you still 100% on this knowledge? And Xander says, yeah, sure. Like, I don't, maybe I can't assemble an M16 blindfolded uh, or pass weapons drill. Um, and he says, I put the semp in Semper Fi. <laughs> I'm just like, that's that's the motto for the Marines. And I'm just like, okay, Xander. You know, and he's trying to finish uh, cleaning and assembling this gun and he can't do it properly. So Giles just takes it <laughs> and finishes it easily for him. I just, I like this scene between the two of them. It's been a while since we've had a Xander and Giles scene, right? Yeah. I also have a question about like, you know, there is no explanation as to how Giles gets so good with guns. Like we know he was a delinquent. That's a good point. And he puts that gun together really easily. I wonder if it was watcher training though, you know? True. I, I think that maybe the watchers put him through some kind of arms course because um, we've definitely seen other elements of the watchers using weapons and stuff. So... Makes sense. So Xander says, okay, I don't have the technical skills right now to join the Swiss army, by which he means Swiss army knives. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think the Swiss army is probably pretty formidable, Xander. Yeah. And Giles is trying to be reassuring. Um, And Xander says, hand to hand, I'm still the man, which is hilarious foreshadowing for what happens later in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And he says, whoever these guys trained with, I'm sure they're not ready to deal with. And then we hear... Xander! <laughs> I made a you. nice fruit punch for you and your friend. Would you boys like some? <laughs> well, Giles is like, is it raspberry? <laughs> He's like, is, is it 
raspberry fruit punch. I like that that was his question. Also, is this the first time, I'm assuming this is Xander's mom, is this the first time we hear Xander's mom? Yeah, and you know, it's really out of character for her from what we know about Xander's mom. Like, she seems like she'd be really cheap, and she makes him, like, like a Xander paying for this fruit punch. Yeah, he would have to pay for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's just really funny, because you'd think Giles will, like, scoff at Xander's mom, but he's not. He's, like, totally into it. He's like, yeah, I'll take some punch. Why not? (laughs) I mean, I I agree with Giles. Like, raspberry fruit punch is where it's at. Don't give me any of that blueberry crap no give me give that to me too yum 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 what i don't want is a giant glass of milk so give me that fruit punch please what if it has cookies uh well uh well yeah that goes without saying it's a whole other element that we're leaving out here okay can we can we just cut to riley who's playing frisbee with the bros in the student lounge that we've i like seen the name before. the bros let's keep that yeah and um he's telling he's telling forrest what Buffy said to Walsh earlier, and Forrest is really impressed by that. He's like, well, she's got guts. you got to give her that. And Riley's like, yeah, but she's nuts. And Forrest is like, you've never wanted to tell the professor off? And then they see Parker, and they call him on over. And Forrest is like, what's the scoop on Buffy Summers? Is she cool? And Parker says, Buffy? Yeah, she's all right, I guess. Kind of whiny. Clingy. We got a little physical. Well, fully physical. Then she's all over me like we're betrothed or something. What are you doing here, Parker? I Like, every time I think it's the end of you, you pop up in an episode again. Get out of here. So Forrest says, yeah, but fun was had, yeah. And Parker says, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, fun was had. The word is stamina. Definitely a bunny in the sack, but later on, well, you know the difference between a freshman girl and a toilet seat? The toilet seat doesn't follow you around after you use it. <laughs> oh my god. If I could take a picture of your face I right now. I <laughs> would like to do unspeakable things to Parker Abrams right now that I cannot admit to on this podcast for fear of legal repercussions, despite him being fictional. That is how badly I would like to hurt this person. Parker is just so vile. Oh. Like, like it's it's one thing to be disrespectful towards women, yeah. right? And be like, yeah, you know, I totally... She, she was a, an animal in the sack or whatever you want to say, right? Like, I'm not saying that's good, but there's a difference between that talk and what Parker is doing here, which is basically treating Buffy like she's not a person. Like a toilet seat. You use it and you lose it is what he's saying. And honestly, when Riley punches him right in his fucking face right now, I said yes. I said yes, yes, yes. Punch him, Riley, because I wish I could have. It's almost as satisfying as when Angel punched Xander. (laughs) There are two things you're allowed to punch in the face. Nazis and Parker Abrams. (laughs) Absolutely correct. Uh, So thank you, Riley. I do want to say something else about this after the next scene. But for now, I'm happy that he punched him right in his stupid face. And he fell to the ground and everyone like stood back. Oh, satisfying to watch. And then outside, Riley, Graham, and Forrest are all walking. And Riley's like, I can't believe I I can't believe I did that. And Forrest is like, you could get into a lot of trouble if Parker reports you. And Graham's like, no, no, he won't. He's too embarrassed. And Forrest says, well, why did you hit him? And Riley says, well, he was just being so crude. And Forrest says, 
I've said much grosser things than that. Like, it's something to be proud of. And Riley says, well, most of, the, most of them are about your own mother. Ha ha ha. Mom jokes. Riley just stops walking because he has a thought. He has to stop walking because of the thought. And he says... Yes, Riley cannot think and walk at the same time. <laughs> it is really hard. Are we sure he's not a himbo <laughs> this season? Unfortunately, again, <laughs> he is too intelligent to uh, be a himbo. But yeah. his his intelligence has, like limited gears let's put it that way well especially when his emotions are evolved like like a lot of men his emotions get involved he has to stop walking and think about it so he says i just didn't like hearing him talk about buffy that way i guess i like her so like yeah join the club riley we also don't like when men talk about buffy that way and i'm glad that you finally realize what we've all known this whole time that you like come her. on our podcast riley <laughs> i would have riley on this podcast so fucking fast and i would only ask him about his hometown of iowa or kansas <laughs> or wherever he's from <laughs> i would just ask him about his grown up what it was like growing up in the area he grew up in so Forrest calls him a slur, right? And then Riley says, well, you knew I had feelings for her. And Graham says, everybody knows, man. And Forrest says, she's peculiar, like dead giveaway, buddy. And Riley's like, I'm always the last to know. (laughs) I will say it's interesting that we're getting like boy talk here. Um, You know, I, I also had that thought. I was like, this is weird. This is new. We don't, we've never really had boy talk like this on the show before. Yeah, and, and yeah. my thing is, like, I don't actually know what boy talk is like because I have only ever been privy uh, to one instance of boy talk that I can remember because, you know, so back in high school, we all thought I was a boy. And I remember being in gym class and we were doing archery that day. Nice. <laughs> um, I know. And... I remember being in a group of fellow boys, apparently. They were, like, talking about girls they liked. And one of them asked me, like, do you have a crush on on somebody? And I remember lying and saying yes, because I thought that was what was expected of me. And at the time, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't know the label asexual, but I'm just like, well, you know, I'm a boy in high school. I'm supposed to have a crush on people. So I said yes, um, and I played it cool and coy about who it was because Mm -hmm. it wasn't somebody. But it's just so fascinating to me, like, the rest of my adult life, um, I primarily hung out with women. Big surprise. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, even when I was around uh, mixed company or in groups with other men, like, I just just never really ended up having, like, boy talk. I had lots of girl talk, but not boy talk. So I I have to say, like, I can't tell if this is accurate or not. I'm pretty sure it is. but yeah, even for somebody who thought that she was a, a guy for the first 30 years of her life, I'm just like, huh, this is this is new. You know, like I'm actually surrounded by a lot of lovely men in my life. I, I'm friends with some. My husband is one. And I've heard boy talk. I've heard it like because I'm, you know, eavesdropping on his conversations or I hear he tells me later about what they talk about. And, uh, you know, if for, for decent, lovely, normal men they do talk about their feelings and they do share their experiences mm-hmm. in this way. Maybe they're not so like, oh my God, I like her. <laughs> like, but uh, like, you know, these things do happen. So I think it's interesting that the show is showing us a little bit of this. Although I do want to say, and this is going to connect to um, the other scene where I wanted to bring up something else about this. Uh, but basically the scene ends where Riley says, well, I'm always the last to know. And Forrest is like, well, what are you going to do? And Riley's like, well, I guess I'm going to go see a girl. And then he big grin and he walks off. Um, okay. So <laughs> um, what I want to say first is that 
there is a little bit of of a problem here where Riley and all the guys were in on what Parker was saying until he got super crude and then Riley punched him. Oh, yeah. And my question is like, okay, so it's okay to talk about women like this until you claim one, right? Until one of them well, is yours. No, like, I feel like Riley would have done that for any woman because he, as we have established from previous episodes, he comes from a more kind of conservative, traditional background based on the wisdom from his father that he dispensed in Beer Bad. Um, I, I don't think it was Buffy per se. I think it was the way Parker was talking and, uh, that triggered Riley's primitive, um, you know, I must defend women's honor brain, but I, I see the point you're making. And I agree with you. It's like, as much as I was joking earlier about, yes, we should punch Parker Abrams, like men defending women's honor is again, a chauvinistic attitude that, as much as there may be something flattering about it on the surface, it once more gets back to this idea that women are property to be fought over and traded like horses and won over, which certainly it's an outdated attitude. And it's something that we see in the rape culture on these kinds of college campuses where guys will brag about which women they've slept with or gone on dates with. And it's like, you know, you, you, you talk amongst yourselves about this and try to figure out, okay, like, who am I going to try to seduce? Yeah. And, and Riley maybe isn't engaging in that culture because of his more traditional mindset, but that doesn't make him necessarily a healthier or less toxic man as a result. Well, also, when Forrest says, I've said much grosser things, I'm sure Riley hasn't punched him out for it, but he punched right. Parker out because Parker's talking about a girl that Riley likes. So I agree with you, and I don't want to, I'm not here to roast Riley. I do think that he would stand up for all women to the best of his ability but it did stand out to me that this time in particular it's because he likes Buffy whereas mm -hmm. maybe if he didn't know who Buffy was he wouldn't have punched Parker maybe he would have been like gross and then that's it right, right. so so there's that toxic element that I wanted to bring up but I also wanted to say like are we to truly believe that these bros were perceptive enough to know that Riley likes Buffy and they use this misogynistic language and bro tactics to awaken his jealousy so that he realizes that he likes her. Like, I think that's a hard pill for me to swallow. <laughs> yeah, that's a good continuity error there. It's like, so when Forrest brought this up in scene one, did he already know of Buffy? And he's like intentionally being like, what about that girl to draw Riley out? Or, you know, has it been like, it hasn't been a couple of days. So you're right. There's something, um, strange here about the timing and how they're talking <laughs> yeah. about her and stuff oh we always knew it's we like knew, no one knew. for like six hours dude um, <laughs> no we've been we've been purposefully bringing her up in misogynistic conversations so that you feel compelled to defend her and then you'll be like oh wait i like her <laughs> again th this is the show's kind of um clumsy way if we're talking about things being clumsy i feel like this episode's a little clumsy in some ways yeah it's just they're, they're just trying to like show us that this guy is interested in Buffy, but I feel like we figured that out already. I don't know. Yeah, I think for sure he, like, showed a little... We've said she sh he's shown more interest in her than she has to him, but it's always been pretty chill up until this episode where it's like, you know what? He likes her, and as much as he thinks she's peculiar, and we all, like, this klutzy nature of Buffy comes out a lot in the first half of this episode, well, take a look. Riley's also super klutzy and kind of awkward where he doesn't even recognize his own feelings for this girl. And now he's going to go about 
pursuing her in a very clumsy way. <laughs> so maybe they're a better match than we could ever have imagined. Who knows? But let's cut to the to this lab coat man who's wheeling a stretcher to Spike's cell. And Spike's unconscious on the floor. Perhaps he drank the dinner in the bag. Uh, they open the door with a swipe card and they drag Spike onto the stretcher and they start strapping him in. But psych, he's awake and he grabs one of the guys and he's like, sorry, can't stay. I got to go see a girl. Just like what Riley said. So after commercial break, the alarm is going off and Spike is throwing the scientist guys around. The other vampire in the, in the cell next to him is saying like, let me out too. I know where the exit is. And if you spring me, you're free. You go, you're dead. So the one scientist, who is Asian, I will add, he accidentally gets serumed with a needle by another and dies. <laughs> like the other, I don't know how this happened. The other scientist accidentally pokes him with a needle. Because they're not practicing proper biohazard protocols here. <laughs> I have to just say, like, again, OSHA violations. Um, it's it's bad. It's bad. Also, like, you don't just, like, hold a needle and use it as a weapon willy-nilly. Like, <laughs> um, So Spike <laughs> throws that guy over and takes a swipe card. I don't know. Uh, chaos. He lets the other vampire out. They run and they're diving under sliding doors and a bunch of army guys come out of the elevator. Spike. It's very intense. Yeah. And Spike like double crosses the other guy because of course and throws him at the guards as he dives under the remaining open door and I presumably escapes. I don't know about you, Steph. I found myself cheering for Spike in this scene. Yeah, I, I mean, wanted him to get away. I know that's bad. No, it's exciting. It's exciting Spike escaping from a laboratory, right? Like, Spike is not our hero at the moment, but he's excite he's an exciting character, and we want that's to see true. what he does, yes. right? I like that he's chaos, right? Yeah, like, it's yeah. Just, like, he, he, he misled them. He had a good plan. I feel like he should have opened more of the doors so, like, cause more <laughs> chaos, but... You know, at the end of the day, he's just like, I'm I'm getting out of here. And that it really kind of matches up with what we've heard about Spike, because up until now in the series, Spike, as I was talking about in the previous episode, has not been much of a threat to us. But we've heard Spike, William the Bloody, you know, he was second only to Angelus in his reign of terror. He's killed two slayers. So I like that this episode is kind of showing us that side of Spike where it's like he actually is good at getting out of these situations. You know, he's he's old enough that he's not going to let some weird government organization keep him down. Yeah. And he's not stupid. Like a Spike is pathetic and we're laughing at him not being a good vampire because none of his schemes ever work. But he's a slippery snake and that he can like get out of situations really easily. And he is pure chaos so this is why it's enjoyable to watch him on screen because you're like what is he gonna do next what's he gonna screw up next <laughs> so we cut to willow who's listening to sad music in her dorm room and there's a knock on the door she says come in and it's riley and willow like you're in sunnydale this is just like with xander when he saw that symbol at halloween this year you've been here too long girl like you know not to just say come in so it's Riley, uh, and he's like, gee, I hope I'm not interrupting anything really depressing because, you know, the sad music's on. Will turns the music off and is like, what's up? And Riley says, well, I'm thinking of asking out Buffy. And Willow's like, she's not here. <laughs> Love it. And Riley's like, well, yeah, like, I know. I'm just, I don't know her that much, and I'm interested in what she likes. And so far, the only thing I know she likes is you. So Willow notices that Buffy's bag of weapons is on the floor at the bedside as they're talking. So she like gets up and starts like towing it under the bed. And as she's doing that, Riley's saying, uh, can you tell me something, anything, just give me a clue. And then he's like, here, let me help you. And he just like pushes the bag 
under the bed. So I think that was like a really cute little nod to that Buffy has secrets um, that Riley should not know about, but he seems pretty oblivious to it at the moment anyway. So it's right there. He could have looked, but he didn't bother. So Riley's thinking, I I think like, how about them Broncos won't really cut it? (laughs) So Riley sits on Buffy's bed across from Willow. See, Parker, that's how you sit when you wait for someone to come and meet with you. Come on. And that's a callback to living conditions <laughs> when Parker called on Buffy. We had and an Kathy. extensive conversation yeah. about this. <laughs> Go back and Kathy, listen. Kathy, learn from Willow. Parker, learn from Riley. So Willow says, "Say that I say that I help, and you start a combo. It goes great. You like Buffy. She likes you. You spend time together. Feelings grow deeper. One day, without even realizing it, you find you're in love. Time stops, and it feels like the whole world is made for you two and you two alone. Until the day one of you leaves and rips the still beating heart from the other, who's now a broken, hollow mockery of the human condition." And Riley's like, yep, that's the plan. <laughs> oh, Willow. Willow what do we think hurting. about, like, uh, emo Willow? I kind of like it. I like that she's <laughs> give no shits about anything about my own problems right now, right? Because she she's very blunt. And usually Willow has more sensitivity for this kind of stuff. So clearly what she's going through is giving her this edge. Yeah. And I kind of like it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I also think it's just, again, we're not, this is now like boy-girl talk, right? Like, it's sweet that Riley is coming to Willow, and he's, this is how we know he's not a himbo. He's researching Buffy. Yeah. You know, this is a typical academic move, is, I like this girl, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm going to do research. <laughs> um, I think Riley's doing all the right things here, I do. I don't think, I think it's very innocent to go and talk to Willow, oh, right? Oh, absolutely, I agree, I love it, and I love that Willow's conspiring with him, and we're going to see this later in the episode, and I'm just like, this is so wholesome. Yeah, I like this, and honestly, I like Riley a lot in this episode. I have no, I have very few notes about Riley. The ones I do, I've already said. I mean, I have some notes, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I think this is perfectly fine, and it's cute. And um, so Riley says, like, if you want to tell me to go to hell, that's okay. Maybe this is the last thing that you want to talk about. I've just never courted anyone like Buffy before. I've never met anyone like Buffy before. And I was like, courted. What year is this? (laughs) Is it it's uh, 1953, <laughs> and uh, Riley has just uh, come back home from uh, his time away at college, and he's about to take over the family farm, and he's looking for a suitable woman to betroth. Right? He's got he's going to court her. That's three supervised dates <laughs> with his father present. Then he'll ask go for her hand the, in marriage. Um, <laughs> the Sadie Hawkins dance. They're going to go to the sock hop. You know that Riley loved the Sadie Hawkins dance at his high school. That was like his favorite year time of the year. <laughs> so... Willow asks, why should she trust him? And Riley says, well, she was hoping she'd think, he was hoping she'd think he had an honest face. And here's that edge to Willow that I think she's learned the hard way this year. She says, I've seen honest faces before. They usually come attached to liars. Ooh. So Riley says, well, I can see I'm not going to win here. So I appreciate you help wanting to help your friend. I guess she's kind of, she kind of brings that out in people. So he goes to go and, you know, Willow breaks. And I think this is good. Willow is looking out for Buffy, right? You have to do the best friend test. So he passed, I guess. Willow's going to throw him a bone. And she's like, 
she likes cheese. Like, it's not the key to her heart, but she likes cheese. And she has a stuffed piggy named Mr. Gordo, who Angel held one time when he broke into her room. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. That's what I think. Um, she said Willow says that Buffy loves the ice capades without the irony. And that's true because Angel brought her on a date skate ice skating that one time. Angel already knows all this stuff. <laughs> but what Angel doesn't know is that Willow is being dragged to this party tonight with Buffy at Lowell House. And Riley says, that's that's my house. Ooh, I live there. <laughs> so Willow's like, yeah, it'll it'll give you a chance to interact, but don't get fresh. And here's where Riley's squeaky clean nice farm boy side comes out where he's like fresh like get fresh i don't even know if we like each other yet so uh he asks willow if buffy ever talks about him willow's like not nah, sorry so he's like well okay well i feel like i have a fighting chance with you as my new accomplice and she's like i'm not your accomplice he's like no of course not she's like i'm not he's like yeah i know she's like we're clear he's like yeah we're clear um and i think this is also a funny callback because like i keep mentioning angel because I'm sorry, Riley, like, it doesn't matter who comes in the next year or, two, or you, anybody else, your rebounds, right? And um, remember in Lie to Me, episode seven, season two, Willow and Angel teamed up to find out about Ford. So she knows better than to do it again. But here she is doing it again. <laughs> but this is for Buffy's benefit, so it's fine. And it's it does speak a lot of words, A, that... Riley punched Parker and B that Willow is on Riley's team in terms of mm -hmm. courting young Buffy Summers. <laughs> so we cut to Harmony uh, in Spike's I old lair. I forgot that Harmony is in this episode. So this was a delightful surprise for me. I didn't realize we were going to get another Harmony dose so soon. And she is just so wonderful in this episode. I agree with you. I actually thought in my memory of season four, I thought Spike was going to be trapped in that cell for a lot longer than he was. So I didn't realize that he was going to break out and see Harmony right away. So I'm also glad to see her. She's hanging a unicorn poster and she's decorated Spike's lair with her shit. And it's awesome. And um, here's something I love about Harmony that I was thinking about. I was like, okay, when we saw in The Wish, like, Vampire Willow, Vampire Xander, they take on completely different personalities. And, like, from what we know about Angel before he got turned, um, maybe one day we'll learn about Spike. They just seem like they're different people when they become vampires. They become more edgy. Well, Harmony doesn't. Harmony <laughs> keeps liking the things that she likes, and she looks the same, and she acts the same. Like we said, she's a little bit different. Well, she's a vampire now, so of course she's different. But, like, she still likes her unicorn posters, and she's going right, to hang them up. <laughs> see, this makes sense to me. Because really what happens when you become a vampire is you lose your soul. So you lose that thing that's keeping you in check, right? And in Angel and Spike, this means they became more violent, uh, more sexual. Like, all of that stuff got amped up. With Harmony... What we see here is she always used to hold herself back to please who whoever was in charge of her clique, whether it was Cordelia or somebody else, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, she would wear what all the cool girls were wearing. You know, if Cordelia said unicorns were out, Harmony would take down all her unicorn posters in her locker, right? So what we're seeing here is Harmony is a vampire, doesn't give a fuck about what other people think. She likes unicorns. She's going to put the posters up. And if you have a problem, she's going to bite you. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so I really, yeah, I, but I agree with you. Like, I think it's really lovely that we get to see this side of Harmony as a, an immortal creature of the night. 
And then, of course, Spike walks in and he's like, your man is back. (laughs) And Harmony's reaction is to slap him. You bastard. You dumped me and staked me and hurt me and left me. And I love the order in which she says those things, right? The leaving her was worse than the staking. The dumping her was worse than the staking, I know. And it's so funny because, like, Spike is pouring on all of these um, terms of endearment for her, like sugar. He's in full-on abuser mode, like, take me back. Um, It's really hard to see, if I'm being honest, right? Like, seeing Spike try to manipulate harmony in this way and it almost works right so yeah he's like sugar you know i missed you really and then harmony's hugging him don't ever do that to me again and he's like no never my little foam latte (laughs) your blondie bear is here to stay so he's like you know he hated that term for him but he's using it now to to get her back into her her good graces she's Mm -hmm. like this time you're back for good right and yes he says forever mon petite creme brulee (laughs) I'm throwing up a little bit in my mouth. But like Carmony says, oh, Italian. <laughs> uh, you really need to take her to France, Spike. This is yeah. this is going to be a thing. So Spike calls himself Big Daddy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, Steph, I just I just need your opinion here. Yeah, Would yeah. you ever be with somebody who called himself Big Daddy? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's a red flag. I'm sure that works for some <laughs> girls, but I'm just like, I can't take you seriously at this point, dude. I would be with somebody who called me Little Foam Latte, though. I think that's cute. What about your mentholated pack of smokes? <laughs> so do you notice, like, his? he starts with sugar and then it ends up your me- my mentholated pack of smokes. Like, it just gets He's... worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, so she's... So this is working. He is winning Harmony back until he makes the mistake of saying, we'll go anywhere you want. First, I just have to take care of something, killing the Slayer, right? And the moment he says that, Harmony turns again and she's like, come on, leave the Slayer alone. You know, she'll only slap you around and I can do that, (laughs) which I love. I love her confidence. But I also like Harmony is not stupid. She understands Spike has this unhealthy fixation on Buffy and that I'm not saying they could be happy together if he he leaves Buffy behind, but like she understands that he's not going to get what he wants here. And I think her counsel here is very wise, but of course Spike is not going to listen. And we're going to see that how Harmony reacts to that later in the episode, right? But for the moment, you know, Harmony's voracious sex appeal manages to win Spike over. I have a question for you, though, because I was watching the scene and Spike came back to Sunnydale because he's obsessed obsessed with Buffy. He was whispering her name when he was unconscious in the cell earlier in this episode. So the first thing he does is seek out Harmony, who, let's face it, is a forever 17 or 18 year old girl. Uh, she's blonde. She's hot. She's a Sunnydale high teenager. Do you think that he sees Harmony as some sort of version of Buffy? Like, does his obsession go into the way he views Harmony? 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was I was thinking about this earlier as well, even before this episode. And I wasn't sure when to bring it up because I didn't want to get too far into spoiler territory, right? Right. But I think most people who are watching this show are aware that Spike, um, yeah, he has, uh, he, his, his feelings about Buffy deepen as we go on in the series. Let's say that. Um, and 
Yeah, no, I, that's totally like we're, we're fortunate enough to have access to a deleted scene from a previous episode. Thanks to listener Casey. We're going to read that later on in this episode. <laughs> and I was reading that deleted scene. And yeah, it kind of twigged for me that like the whole reason Spike gets with Harmony is that she's a Buffy replacement. She is the, you know, he can't have Buffy, so he's going to have her. Um, and and that is very significant. Again, I can't talk too much about that right now because I don't want to spoil anything for first-time viewers, but, you know, that is something that's interesting about this show is the way that Spike's character develops over the years, the way that his attitudes towards Buffy change. In this season, we are seeing, you know, the seeds being planted for stuff that is going to come to fruition in seasons five and six and seven. Yeah, and it also could explain a lot about why Spike is so abusive toward Harmony and why he takes out all his rage on her that we saw in The Harsh Light of Day. Yeah, he, he certainly, his attitude towards Harmony is very different from his attitude towards Drusilla, right? Like yes. we discussed this in Harsh Light of Day, you know, his relationship with, with Drusilla is also toxic and abusive, but at the end of the day, he feels like he should take care of her. Whereas with Harmony, he just uses her and then leaves. Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep our eye on this. But this is, I mean, I was also thinking about this beforehand, but I, I saw in this scene, for, because the episode started off with Spike whispering Buffy's I'm name. I'm really glad you brought it up. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, this is the time to bring it up. So so we, we cut away from here and we go to the forest. Um, so somewhere the four miles between Sunny UC Sunnydale and Giles' house. And um, the camera is slowly pulling away, pulling towards Xander and Giles. And Xander's like, Every man faces this moment here here now, watching, waiting for an unseen enemy that has no face, nerve-ending, screaming in silence, never knowing which thought might be your last. And Giles is like, oh, shut up. <laughs> and that's the scene. That's the, that's the scene. Uh, <laughs> Giles finally getting to say what we have been yelling this entire series. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so... We cut to the party at Lowell House and Buffy and Willow are showing up and Willow is so not into it. And uh, Buffy's like, hey, the guys are here already. So, oh, good. They're meeting mysterious <laughs> friends. So Willow is going to go grab a soda. And Buffy's like, okay. So Willow walks right up to Riley and says, okay, she's wearing the halter top with sensible shoes, which means mostly dancing, light contact, but don't push your luck. Heavy conversation is out of the question. Ask her to dance. And Riley's like, I can't dance. So Willow's like, then talk. Keep eye contact. Funny is good, but don't be Xander. <laughs> no, he's human. She's going to say that. Uh, she's like, don't be glib. Remember, if you hurt her, I'll beat you to death to death with a shovel. A vague disclaimer is nobody's friend. Have yeah, fun. Yeah, the delivery on that line, the way she smiles afterwards. Yeah, a vague disclaimer is nobody's friend. I agree with you, Willow. And I, I love her loyalty here. I also love the irony that Buffy has dragged Willow to this party thinking Buffy is the one helping Willow when in reality, Willow is being a wingwoman to Buffy and it's lovely. Yeah, and she's also being a wingwoman to Riley and she's um, in cahoots with him and I think it's cute. I love that word, cahoots. Cahoots. Say that word again. Cahoots. Uh, (laughs) It's like you said, um, what did you say in Beer Bad? Something bulk. Bob. Bulk. Riley's bulk. No, no you said you said um she bounces into his bulk. Into his bulk. She bumped she bumped into his bulk and I was like, ooh, I like how that sounds too. This is an ASMR podcast. Um <laughs> <laughs> cahoots, cahoots, cahoots. So 
approach Buffy, Riley does, and he <laughs> cuts right into her friend group, and he's like, hi. <laughs> and unfortunately, unfortunately, like I said, Riley's very clumsy when it comes to social action. Now that he knows that he likes Buffy, he can't fucking speak around her. And I, I actually relate to that a lot. I think when you get nervous, it's like hard to speak to somebody you like, and you, I get all red-faced. <laughs> so I feel you. I feel you, Riley. And he's like, did you do the reading on chapter nine? <laughs> and she's like, uh-huh. And her face is so funny. She's literally like, what the hell is this? And he's like, wow, some theories, huh? <laughs> and then he holds up a little block of cheese and he's like, cheese? <laughs> God. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. This, there, There's so much going on here. Like, I know people, you know, people study Buffy academically. You could write a whole essay on this one exchange. Right <laughs> I know, we bombed so hard. Uh, it's kind of, it's Also, endearing. the cheese thing is important for the end of the season. I'm just throwing that out there. All right, good to know. Uh, yeah, but the, uh, you know what? I'm with Riley. Uh, he's the underdog right now, and I like it. So Xander is wandering alone because Giles chose to split up with him because he's being annoying. And he sees Harmony, who's throwing a bunch of spiked stuff into a pile and pouring gasoline on it. And he approaches her and he's like, Harmony. And she's like, Xander? And he's like, that's close enough. And he takes out the stake and he's like, I'm warning you. I've been highly trained to put this through your heart. No mercy, he's no warning. He's holding it properly. I know. Okay. I really like this scene. I think it's This funny. is the best scene of the episode. This 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 scene is so... It's like one of the best scenes in the series, if you ask me. Uh, Harmony <laughs> says, I could kill you where you stand. <laughs> and Xander's like, and Xander's like, bring it on then. And Harmony smacks him across the face. And he's like, ow! And he <laughs> kicks her in the shin. And she's like, ow, you sissy kicker! <laughs> And then they start smacking each other, and they basically get into a wrestle, a, a tussle. That it's is like, like a girl fight, like a cat fight. It's it's hair pulling and like a slap fight. <laughs> and yeah, like they're not actually fighting, like Buffy fights, right? No, no, and no, no, no. Then it's slow, like the the cinematography goes into slow motion. There's epic music <laughs> happening. I didn't realize this is the fight scene I have been waiting for this entire series. This oh, is, my God. There is no better fight scene possible in Buffy. Like, we just need to shut it down at this point. This is the best <laughs> fight scene we will ever see. And um, they really commit to it. Like, they really commit yes, to this. I, I have so to funny. wonder, like, I, I, were there stunt actors in that scene? I didn't notice no any. Way. Like, I feel no, like no, that no, was no, just no. the two of them just going for it you don't even need to choreograph it you just tell them what you need them to do and they just must have had such a good time you know and they're pulling on each other's hair they're getting into a headlock and <laughs> like it's it's pathetic but it's also awesome it's so funny it's because like uh, we're so used to a vampire and the hero squaring up and being like bring it on and then it's like an epic thing whereas this fight is so xander and harmony and it's so funny and um they both end up in a headlock pulling each other's hair and, and xander's like stop 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 we should stop and she's like i will if you will and he's like okay i'm counting to three one two three and they both let go <laughs> and xander's like right okay harmony it's been great catching up i'm gonna go pick up the tattered threads of my dignity and go home leave you with your fire you know he's <laughs> not gonna mention this right no. <laughs> you know and he does he does eventually of course but like he's not gonna mention that he couldn't beat harmony in a fight <laughs> but i also want add that like harmony arguably should have her vampire strength she should be able to fight like any other vampire but, can but she doesn't 
No, yeah, because she does, like, for her, the vampire thing comes out when she needs it, right? Like, when she's hungry, she could hunt. But she hasn't, because she's still very fresh, you know, as a vampire. She's only been a vampire for a couple of months at this point. So she hasn't really slipped into a persona. I think we are biased because the vampires who have stuck around, like Spike and Angel, are very old compared to the vampires that Buffy just kind of kills on a weekly basis. I think it probably takes a couple of decades for a vampire to really get confident in their fighting skills in shifting from human face to vamp face and maintaining their control as they do that. I think Harmony's vampire stuff is much more instinctive at this point. It's also just funny that like, like we said earlier, like Harmony, like not a, like some things have very much stayed the same with Harmony. <laughs> And um, we forget that, like, she could have been 17 when she was turned. Like, if she's in grade 12, like, she could have still been 17 if her birthday is at the end of the year. So she's quite young. So Harmony is like, that's not my fire. You know, like, like I listened to the sex pistols. Ew, this crap belongs to Spike. And Xander's like, Spike. And Harmony's like, yeah, he's, you know, he's back with all these big promises. Not that I believed him, but he could have spent one night. But no, everything was Slayer this and Slayer that. He probably already killed her. And I'm not taking him back. I just want to know why it is that men always. And then Xander, she looks around. Xander's gone. He heard Spike's name. And he took off. And she's like, leave. And then she sadly throws a match on the fire and burns Spike's things. So cut to Buffy dancing it up at the party. Not with Riley, not with Willow, but with some random. And Riley and Willow are watching on the couch. And Riley is like, I choked. And Willow's like, you really, really did. <laughs> so... Riley's like, I don't understand because I'm good at things. And that's what I do. I work hard. I apply myself. I get it done. And Willow's like, well, you failed extremely well. And um, then a song by Dingles Ate My Baby, Oz's band starts to play and Willow gets really sad. And this is very sweet of Riley because Riley recognizes that she's upset that the, the song is the trigger for it. So he like tells, he's like, hey, AJ, <laughs> who's not the DJ. There's no DJ at this party. <laughs> right, but his name is AJ. Stereo. So that's close enough to DJ. So therefore he must DJ. AJ, spin that shit. <laughs> so um, no Biff naked at this party. So AJ turns the song and Will says, thank you. So I thought that was very sweet. And uh, she's like, go find Buffy. And, you know, now there's something that you can go, that you can talk to her about. Tell her I went home and not to worry about me. And Riley's like, okay, thanks. Riley goes up to Buffy and says, Willow took off. She's okay. She's kind of blue, but she said not to worry. So Buffy tells him, thank you. And Riley's like, I wanted to ask you something. And she's like, ask away. And that's when... Xander runs in and is like, Buffy, I've been looking all over for you. We need to talk. Not here. It's sort of unfinished business. <laughs> and Buffy's like, okay, excuse me. And she lets Xander lead her out by hand. So that looks suspicious, right? Also, Xander looks quite um, disheveled because he's been in this hair pulling fight. So his, <laughs> yeah. his hair is all messed up and he's wearing, you know, the drab, like green windbreaker. And so... If we're mistaking Xander as a potential paramour of Buffy's, uh, he's looking rather dire and scruffy. Yeah, and uh, I also want to know what story Xander told Giles and Buffy about how he found out Spike was in town. Like, oh, I found Harmony in the bushes and we fought <laughs> and she got away with barely her life. <laughs> so Forrest and Graham come up behind Riley and they're like denied and Riley's like she didn't blow me blow me off she just left with another guy and Forrest is like we need you downstairs anyway so the three guys the three bros 
are walking down the hallway of their frat. And Forrest is saying, I hate to say it, but I think they're on their way to make crazy naked sex. Is this all you think about, Forrest? Forrest, I need you to be a little less one-dimensional. We need a little bit more from you now. Riley says, is that necessary? And he's and Forrest is just like, I don't want to see you mooning over some freshman for the next three months. And Graham says, I like her. I'm on your side. So... They're staring at a mirror in their hallway, and then a green laser scans their faces, and we hear, retinal scan accepted. And the mirror opens to reveal an elevator, and they get in it, and it goes down. Goes down, but I thought they were on the main floor. And Forrest is telling Riley that he knows about girls, and Riley's like, yeah, exactly. Girls, plural. I'm talking about one girl. And then he goes into the speaker on the wall and he says, one girl. And <laughs> the speaker says, initiative vocal code match complete. Special agent Finn Riley. And the elevator opens and they start walking down these stairs and Riley is saying while they're doing this, he's saying, the problem is, what kind of girl is going to go out with a guy who's acting all Joe regular by day and turns all demon hunter by night? And Graham says, maybe a peculiar one. And we pan away and the camera is showing us this giant warehouse, this giant like lab warehouse place. It's huge. It's, yeah, it's it, frankly, I'm impressed. And I know a lot of it must be like camera effects and matte paintings and stuff. But like the way it's shot is meant to give us this perspective of you know, dimension to it, right? Like they could have had everything siloed off into small little rooms like you would in most institutions. But no, the um, they very deliberately decided to make it open so that they could impress us with the scale of this operation. Yeah, it, there's, there's people in there. There's vehicles driving around. There's a lab area where demons are being experimented on. There's scientists, doctors, army people, tinfoil everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's camera, like security cameras, equipment. There's, it's a huge. So this is a huge, huge reveal that there is some sort of army base underneath the university. And Riley and these two guys that we met this episode are part of this network or whatever is going on. So, so this is this is what I was talking about when I said I had some criticisms of Riley, which is, yeah, he's a nice guy, but he's also part of the military industrial complex. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, it's so interesting here because so we know as of this episode that they're building up a romance between Buffy and Riley. So with this little reveal where Riley's like, who, who like, why would she? She thinks I'm Joe regular, but I'm not. Well, Buffy is also not girl regular, right? Or <laughs> mm-hmm. Joelle regular. So this is the this is why they're setting up these two to be similar, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I see what you're there's doing. There's going to be a lot more irony in this episode <laughs> yeah. and episodes to come. <laughs> I also, I have a couple of other comments about this reveal. The first is, I really like how in this episode, they they kind of keep the two storylines separate, right? So we have the frat boy storyline, and then we have the spike initiative storyline. And the way the episode smashes them together by revealing that Forrest and Riley and Graham are members of this super secret initiative and it's underneath the the, the campus. I love it. Like that's so well done. My second comment from a disability rights perspective, this 
complex is an accessibility nightmare. So mm -hmm. you get into an elevator, ride the elevator down, but then you also have to go downstairs? Why doesn't the elevator just take you right to the bottom of the complex? It doesn't make any sense. It's not accessible for wheelchair <laughs> users or anybody who's limited in their mobility. And there's more stairs there. Like, clearly, if if you have um, a physical disability, you're going to have a hard time working in this place. So I just got to throw that out there. Like, please, governments, when you are creating uh, secret military industrial complex uh, complexes to do possibly illegal, unethical research on paranormal creatures, uh, think of accessibility issues. Yes. Agreed. And they are listening to us and they will definitely take that tip. Uh, the So the three men walk up to someone and they say, situation. And it's Professor Maggie Walsh, the bitch from Psych, in a lab coat. I gotta say, I like her, I like her in a lab coat. She's rocking that. I also like this reveal. Anyone, I know there are some listeners who listen to us, either they just watched for the first time and they're listening to us now, or they're actually listening to us first and then watching the show. That and what? Like, really? Believe it or not, so, like, people have said that they've that not watched. That seems Looney Tunes yeah. to me. No, there's people that reach out. Remember, there's people who reach out to us that said that they haven't watched the show. They just like to listen. Okay. Sorry. You don't remember? No, I'm, I'm just apologizing for the terrible job we do. Oh, so sorry that we're not giving you what you need to, <laughs> what you need to really understand the show. Um, but for anyone who's new to listening to the show and is listening to us or watching the show for the first time recently, did this, was what was this reveal like? I love it. I love Professor Walsh in charge of the initiative like this. Yeah, like, I'll, I think I'll have that's more huge. thoughts. Yeah, it's huge. I'll have more thoughts as we go through the season. You know, because as I kind of alluded to in Beer Bad, I do feel like the big bad of this season is a little weak, and I'm not alone in that opinion. But I, I gotta say, like, I like Professor Walsh. I like how she runs things around here. And she provides some interesting antagonism in not so much in this episode, but in episodes to come. So let's keep an eye on her. So I love that she's in charge, right? And she says, gentlemen, suit up. We have a code red. Hostel 17 has escaped. Oh, no. Oh, no. So we don't know who Hostel 17 is, but we can assume it's Spike. The guys are suiting up, and Walsh is giving them the 411 on what's going on. Uh, Spike escaped at 247. Uh, it was t bagged and tagged locally. Therefore, we can assume Hostel 17 knows the area. The creature has every advantage right now. Failed to recapture it and everything we work for. The initiative itself could end tonight and riley is in full army gear now and he's like nobody's failing on my watch <laughs> so more army guys come forward and walsh says agent finn is now in charge of this operation i'm counting on you riley so not only is riley professor walsh's ta but he's also i guess the commander he is very busy yes he they might have some like super super busy people like is he actually getting a degree or not i'm confused well, I, I mean, I think this just, and we have a hot stake related to this later, um, but this just speaks to what graduate students have to do to fund themselves <laughs> because they don't make enough money as, as TAs, right? Riley yeah. had to take a whole separate job in the army or the secret army or whatever to pay his way through grad school. It's true. And I don't believe that. And I now honestly think that every single American university has one of these underneath them. <laughs> That would explain quite a bit, I will say. I think this is where we actually, this is tearing down the veil of what's what actually 
happens at American universities. So Riley is setting up the crew, the team, the boys, uh, three teams. One will go uh, search the campus perimeter. The others will go to the sewers <laughs> and the cemeteries. And then him and his besties, they're going to go to the heart of the campus and work their way out. Now, move! And it's like, yeah, sir, yes, sir. And they all leave. So Buffy is at Giles' house. She walked the quick five miles to talk to him uh, not on the phone she went with xander right because xander's like we got to talk business oh, okay so xander and her drove okay okay well, that's fine and giles i guess was heading home anyway or maybe they all went together then talk in the car because buffy has to get back to campus later Ooh, ooh, ooh. we're um, never gonna get tired of breaking this up i'm sorry ever. listeners. it doesn't make any sense like talk in buffy's room uh anyway Buffy says to Giles, what is wrong with him, a.k.a. Spike? Doesn't he get that this is my town? <laughs> I love her indignation here. Yeah. She's so right. She's like, just get out of here, you annoying, annoying vampire. And Giles is like, he's resilient. And she's like, and it's my night off. <laughs> and Xander's like, I'm sure he'd pick a night if, I'm sure he'd pick a different night if he knew you were busy with Teutonic boy toy. And I don't like this comment from Xander. It's been a while since I've gotten to slander him a little bit, but did I not detect, did I detect a little bit of jealousy in him saying that? Like he has no reason to come for Riley at all, but I just got flashbacks to every other time Buffy showed interest in another guy from a year, yeah. two years, three years ago, you know? Yeah. So Buffy says Riley's a doof. He's not Teutonic. And Giles says, we have to assume that Spike's main target is you, Buffy. And she's like, fine, he's he's worn out his welcome. Tonight, I kill him. And Giles is like, if she has a plan, asks if she has a plan. And she's like, I'm the plan. Spike wants yes. me. Yeah. Spike wants me. I go alone. No arguments. Lead him away from the popular places and give him what he wants. So Xander's like, okay, here, take, a fl- take this flare gun. <laughs> <laughs> he's like an NPC in a video game. Take this. You may need it. And she's like, Puffy's like, uh, I'm, if I find stake, if I find Spike, I'm going to stake him. Not signal ships at sea. <laughs> and Xander's like, well, if you get into trouble, she's like, okay, I'll flare. And then, and then Xander's like, we'll come running. And I was like, come running from where? From where are you going to come running from, Xander? Giles' house five miles away? Like, that's what the Giles signal is for. That's how you summon anyone to campus these days. Like, what in the world? So Buffy leaves. Uh, Xander's like, do you think Spike will find her? And Giles is like, I'm sure of it. So cut to Spike, who's looking up Buffy's address in the student records at school, and he's trashed the file room before he finds her address. Truly, he is evil. What an asshole. And he's like, hello, gorgeous. And I'm just curious, like, when did Spike learn how to work a file system on the computer? Well, he probably, he's been around for a while. He probably ate a librarian at some point. And, like, let her, let her teach him? Because it's just, like, I just, like, do you remember in, like, Passion... When Angel thought that, like, just by destroying the computer, like, he had destroyed the curse. <laughs> right, but that was that was Angelus, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I yeah. feel like Spike is more with the times, right? Like, he's into yeah. rock and roll. He's into, like, edgy stuff. Like, that wasn't around when, when he was, I was going to say when he was a kid. That wasn't around before he got sired, but he is progressive. He updates. So I can totally see Spike learning new technology. Well, Spike would totally have MySpace. Like, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. And he'd play, like, funky music. <laughs> but his only friend would be Tom. No, no, he would... 
he would he would rank his friends for sure. <laughs> like you know, he'd have his like five friends, and he he would definitely like choose by day who would go at the top number number one. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Riley, Forrest, and Graham are on campus and they spot Buffy sitting by herself on a bench because she's waiting for Spike. She ran the five miles back to campus and left Xander and Giles to wait at his house. So Forrest is saying, um, well, at least she's not making crazy naked sex. And Riley says, well, we have to clear her out of here because they're on the hunt. And Forrest is like, well, maybe not. If you were Hostel 17, living off the crap we feed him, what would you rather eat than that? And Riley says, you want to use the girl I have a crush on as bait? And Forrest is like, I can take a hostile at 50 yards. And Riley's like, denied, agent. And Forrest says, did you just pull rank on me? And Riley says, do you have a problem with that? And he's like, no, sir. So, so, Forrest, how long have you been in the army? Because I just feel like ranks are really important there. And if you don't respect the rank, you're not going to make it very far being an mm. army person. So it's not normal for you to be like, Are you, how dare you pull rank on me? You're my friend. It's like, isn't that the normal way? It goes? Yeah, but they're also kind of undercover a lot of the time. So I can see how when you're embedded in that way, the lines get blurred. Okay, that's fair. So maybe, if, and hey, I don't know how old Forrest is. Maybe he just needs a little reminder, but like, ooh, Riley's in charge. So also I want to ask, like, is Riley not wanting... Buffy to be bait because he likes her or because she's a civilian because I think there's a really big difference in how we can take Riley's character if that's the case because Forrest is suggesting in just this comment here right that we we can use her as bait that perhaps Forrest is representing the initiative that they work for that maybe the initiative itself is comfortable with endangering civilians for the greater good or for the sake of the mission, or whatever it is that they're doing, and Riley could be against that. So I just think there's a, there's a difference here. Either Riley is saying we don't use civilians as bait, or he's just doing it because it's Buffy. Like you can't. That's use a great her, question. You know? I think it's one of those questions where there's evidence both ways. There's really no way to say for sure. So it's kind of open to our interpretation as the viewer. I would also just point out that like. Forrest's plan is flawed. What are you going to do when you tranquilize a bleach blonde white guy coming at you? Um, how are they going to play that? Like, what do they tell Buffy? Like, oh, like he was looking at you, Shifty? Uh, oh, that's a pledge. <laughs> oh, a... okay. Well, I stand corrected. It's very easy to explain away. <laughs> pledge week. <laughs> yeah, I would actually I just, give I anything like... to do that. <laughs> If anything, you know, and I again, this is open to interpretation, but if anything, I think what this exchange demonstrates is Riley is a conservative person. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to take extra risks. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. As much as Forrest's idea of using Buffy as bait might seem convenient, it introduces an unknown element onto the playing field. You don't know what Buffy's going to do, right? She might run. She might scream. She might try to attack Spike, right? Like, um, so I, I think Riley's actually very smart here, regardless of his motivations. I think he makes the right call from a tactical point of view because you need to clear the playing field so that you can engage the hostile on your terms um, instead of having this unknown variable that could possibly make things more complicated. For sure. Yep. Yep. I agree. You would make an excellent leader, Kara, just like Riley is an excellent leader making all Thank these choices. Thank you. I plan choices. to sell myself out and join the military industrial complex very soon. You mean enroll in university. <laughs> 
so you can join the underground oh my, army. Oh my god, grad student is probably one of the few professions that <laughs> would pay less than what I'm currently making. <laughs> All right, so 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 we cut to Riley approaching Buffy without his you know tactical gear on, and he's and she pulls out a steak on him, and then she's like, "What are you doing here?" And Buffy, I was like, "Don't just pull your steak out like that." Did you learn nothing from Alan Finch's death? Right? You don't just It'd be pull a very out your different steak. episode if she just stabbed first. <laughs> And then they take her as Hostile 18. <laughs> so Riley says, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to you at the party. You left so fast. And he, you can tell what, he's like looking around because he's he's also, he's there for a purpose, right? He's like looking for Spike. And um, she's quickly hiding her stake. So this is what I mean. Like they're setting these two up. They both have secrets and they're playing off each other really well in this scene, in my opinion. He's like, you left so fast with your friend, who's a boy. And Buffy's like, Xander, he's not anyone that I want to talk about right now. I, I don't want you t- taking this the wrong way. It's just, I need a little alone time now. Alone. And he's like, why? And she's like, I need space. And he's like, we're outdoors. And she's like, emotionally. And then she's like, I mean, emotionally. <laughs> and it's like, sad face. So he's like, there's plenty of space back in your room. Why don't I take you? And you wouldn't believe the weirdos out here at this time. And he goes to like grab her arm and she jumps back. And he does this a couple times in the scene where he tries to like manhandle her. And we know why it's because he wants to get her out of danger and he wants to like move her. Um, But it is kind of odd to see him, you know, physically trying to move her. Right. So Buffy says, it's a free campus. Who died and made you John Wayne? And he's like, I'm just trying to help. And she's like, I think you need, you think I need help. Believe me, I don't. You know, if you were a real gentleman, you would just leave. You would go far, far away now. Shoo. (laughs) And so he's like, are you drunk? And she's like, yeah, go, go, go report me. And so he tries to grab her again. Like he's like, I'm taking you home. And he tries to grab her again. And she pushes back and she's like, did you ever think that maybe I'm going to take you home? Huh? Like, you think boys can take care of themselves and girls need help? And he says, yeah. And she's like, that is so Teutonic. And (sighs) I disagree and I agree with Riley because I see where Buffy's coming from, right? Like, you know, she doesn't need a boy to take care of her. But for me, as an average woman, I do know very well that if I'm home alone, if I'm out alone late at night and I've been drinking, I would appreciate someone else to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, like it's about personal comfort, right? And as I've been saying, you know, a lot of this chauvinistic stuff, some women like that. And that's okay. I'm not here to shame anybody. If you want Mm -hmm. a guy to compliment you and, you know, um, ask you out very awkwardly and try to walk (laughs) you home, that that's okay. You can be into that. Manhandle you off the bench. Sure. Yeah, that's your kink. I'm I'm not here to kink shame. But I'm also not against it. You know, (laughs) the problem is that Riley thinks every woman should be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll find that out soon enough. But like, we understand why he's doing it here, because he's trying to get her out of harm's way. So um, he looks at Buffy and he's like, as long as you're out here, I'm staying. And she and she's like, Sorry, he says, look, Buffy, as long as you're out here, I'm staying. And she's like, well, as long as you're out here, I'm staying. And then they hear a scream and Riley's like, I got to go. And she's like, see ya. And they both take off. So Riley meets back up with the boys who are tracking. Um, what, I don't They never explain the scream, like not once, but uh, the boys are tracking it, something on their tracker. And... Um, we cut to Willow who's lying in her bed listening to music and she hears a knock on the door just like earlier and she says, come in and in walks Spike. So Willow gets up in alarm and she's like, what do you want? Like a spell? 
I can do that. And she tries to run past him and he throws her into her nightstand, like really violently. And he says, I'll give you a choice. Now I'm going to kill you. No choice in that. But I can let you stay dead or bring you back to be like me. She says, I'll scream. And he's like, bonus. And she screams and he covers her mouth, turns up her music, throws her on the bed. And she's struggling. He's pinning her down on the bed on top of her. And he's holding her down. And then he goes to bite her. And it cuts to the people out in the hallway who obviously don't hear a thing because the music is really loud. And this is disturbing. This is a really disturbing scene. Um, and this is what I yeah. mean when the, when the episode is disjointed in tone, but also in obviously all these storylines and plot lines coming together. But this scene brought me right down. Like where the Harmony and Xander fight brought me up. This scene brought me crashing down. And it's because it's so similar to a rape scene. Like the bed, him holding her down, him jacking up the music. Once again, you know, there's lots about Spike that makes me uncomfortable with the way he treats women. And this scene encapsulates it. And to me, I feel like this scene has two parts. The first part is what you're just describing, which is very difficult to watch. The second part to me is one of the better scenes of this episode because it's Spike and Willow, you know, and they're having this like really funny exchange where she's like, oh, I'm sorry that I made you have performance anxiety, right? And yeah, it's sexual, but it it, it is also very funny because it also taps into Willow's own insecurities about why Oz left her. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a very clever scene after this part, but this part was just really... Right. It was really dark. I completely agree. Really, really dark. And that's why it took me... I used to really love the scene that follows this, um, but it took me a while to get into that headspace again and be like, oh, this is quite funny. This is quite clever, what they're doing, like the innuendos. It was just dark. It it, It really brought me down. So we cut to Willow lying on the bed and Spike is sitting at the end of it and he's like, I don't understand. This sort of thing has never happened to me before. And she's like, well, maybe you were nervous. And he's, and he's like, well, I fell all right when I started. Let's try again. So he tries twice to jump on her. So he jumps on her again. He tries tw- twice to bite her. And each time he screams in pain. And then he gets up. He's like, damn that. And he starts like pacing. And Willow is saying, well, maybe you're trying too hard. Like, doesn't this happen to every vampire? And he's like, not to me. It doesn't. And Willow says, it's me, isn't it? Like, you came looking for Buffy and you settled. You didn't want to bite me. I just happened to be around. And Spike's like, piffle and she's like i know i'm not the kind of girl vamps vamps like to sink their teeth into it's always like "Ooh, you're like a sister to me or you're such a good friend and spike's like don't be ridiculous i'd bite you in a heartbeat and he sits next to her and he's like i thought about it and she's like when and he's like remember last year you had on that fuzzy pink number with a lilac underneath and then he like looks at her like "Uh uh-huh right (laughs) And, and then he's like um She's like, oh, I never would have guessed. She's like, you played the bloodlust kind of cool. And he's like, I hate being obvious, you know, all fangy and grrr, like takes the mystery out. And Willow's like, but if you could, he's like, if I could, yeah. And she's like, you know, this doesn't make you any less terrifying. And he's like, don't patronize me. So this is what we mean, right? Like this is, this is funny and interesting because like what's happening to spike on one hand and like why can't he bite her but on the other hand you know they're making it seem like he's he's unable to get it up (laughs) and that's pretty funny uh but like then i just ooh, that first scene really got to me the point where i was like okay so spike attacks willow right a man attacks a woman but he can't perform so then willow feels insulted and undesirable from him not 
raping her, if that's like the context that we want to take it in. And then she has to reassure the man that she's desirable and he makes her feel desirable and they're comforting each other. And it's just really fucked. It's just really fucked because that first scene insinuated rape. Absolutely. It's just hard. It is, it is a hard no, thing to you do. You yeah. are completely right. I agree with you. This, there's a lot to unpack in this scene. It's complicated and difficult. And yeah, I just it's there's a lot that's problematic about it. And I just I don't have anything else to add because I think you've done a really good job. Yeah, and I think you know in Lovers Walk we did enjoy their exchange in that episode in season three because it was about rebounding. And the parallel is that sexual, like, we're going to have a one-night stand because I'm rebounding with you. Anyway, anyway, let me move on from that. So um, outside, the army boys have tracked Spike. Um, I don't know how. Again, we don't know why the scream. Like, we never learned about the scream, unless that was Willow's scream. Huh? Was that Willow's scream, maybe? Okay. So they've tracked him because, you know, Spike lacks body temperature and that's what they're tracking for. And (laughs) Riley says, we're going to do a classic standard triangle flanking move. And I was like, not to be confused with the Magnus, (laughs) with the The Magnus tripod. tripod. I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We forgot about that. But lest lest we forget, they could always try that. So Spike has has his head in his hands and he's like, I'm only 126. And Will's like, you're being too hard on yourself. Why don't we wait half an hour and try again? (laughs) Then she's like, or, and she breaks her lamp over his head and goes to run out of the room. But all the doors have locked and the lights go out and the army guys are running in with their night goggle gear. And the students are like, what's going on? And like, they're just running into the dorm. Like, where is the stealth, boys? I I know. It's very convenient that they can cut the power. And later when the power comes back on, all the students come out of their rooms, like, right away. It's like, was nobody, like, watching? Did nobody keep their door? Like, what? Well, why put the doors yeah. locked? That's, that's scary, <laughs> the idea that the doors lock like that. Um, so anyway, outside Willow's door, they break it open. Willow runs out, and they are about to shoot her. Riley screams, like, hold your fire. And that's when Spike runs out, and he tries to bite one of them, but obviously his head hurts, so he falls back. So they start to bag and tag him. And as they're leaving, Forrest wants to take Willow with them because she could have been turned. And Riley's like, leave her. And Forrest says, we can't neglect quarantine. And Spike slithers out of his binding somehow and he starts to fight them. And he breaks open this fire extinguisher box or glass or whatever. And he pulls it out just in time to take one of the shots that they fire at him. And it breaks the extinguisher. Smoke goes everywhere. The army guys are suddenly blind. Um, And Buffy shoots her flare gun she shows up and she flutes her she shoots her flare gun and everyone's confused and buffy throws willow into their room and she starts to fight with riley and riley can't see who she is because of the smoke and spike jumps through the window and escapes onto the street and riley realizes that whoever he's fighting is way too strong so he says abort and they all take off and buffy brings willow into and they shut their room door okay i have a question about this Hmm. I don't think you have the answer, Steph. I hope one of our listeners does. Do flares bounce? Do, do they ricochet? Because in this scene, she fires the flare and it like pings pew, back pew, and pew, forth. Pew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a ping ball machine. I'm watching this and I'm like, wouldn't it just hit the wall and just kind of like <laughs> thud or like embed in the wall? Like, 
I don't, I don't know. I just, it really kind of like threw me. Yeah, that's a great question. I would love to know the answer to that. I mean, a, a simple Google would tell us. However, I want someone to come and tell us what, what they <laughs> Why do. would I bother to Google something when I can just get our loyal listeners to yeah, do Yeah, when in two weeks we can get the answer from a listener. <laughs> Um, I've always wanted to fire a flare gun, no lies. So this information actually does matter to me. So let us know. Um, You're not going to do it in a closed space though, right? (laughs) Kara, you don't know what I'm capable of. (laughs) Once I know what happens, maybe Um, I will. Maybe I will. Oh dear. I don't don't know. I'm going to tell you a really quick story. When I was in Cambodia, I went to a shooting range with my friend and just for something to do. And um, I, I saw a handgun and I really wanted to fire the handgun. And there and I was like, I want to fire the small one. And they're like, that's a flare gun. And I was like, even better. Can I fire it? And they're like, no, <laughs> like you can only fire big guns here. And I was like, all right, fine. But like, I would have been perfectly happy with a flare gun. So <laughs> in the initiative, Professor Walsh or Sergeant Walsh, I don't know her name. She's pissed. And she's like, from Riley's report, Hostile 17 has an accomplice who's smart, aggressive, and somehow escapes description. Force and Force says, whoever he was, the guy was big. And Graham <sighs> says, strong too. And Riley <sighs> says, whoever or whatever. And Walsh is like, call me old fashioned, but I like results. And this report reads like a child's riddle book. Agent Finn, tell me something good. My implant. And Riley says, implant works. Hostile 17 can't harm any living creature in any way without intense neurological pain. Can't feed, can't hardly even hit anymore. Oh, okay. So we are learning that Hostile 17, a.k.a. Spike, has something implanted in his brain that is causing him severe pain anytime he tries to hurt somebody. And... We saw him push around humans a couple of times in this episode, so we don't know what the boundaries are. I mean, yeah, the the workings of Spike's chip, as it comes to be known, are a little bit inconsistent from episode to episode. We can talk about this as we keep going. But yeah, th- this is really interesting because what we're seeing here, of course, and we've seen hints of this throughout the series, like in um, Out of Mind, Out of Sight with Marcy, right? We're seeing science being used against the supernatural. And that's really intriguing. I like this uh, trajectory that the show is taking. I really do. Um, They promise they're going to bag it. And Walsh says, yes, you will. Dismissed. And I just want to point out here that Riley, when his hair slicked back with with sweat, (laughs) I mean, preferably gel, but this is sweat, I know, because he was, you know, fighting. Um, Way cuter. He just needs a haircut, really. Um, Cut to Riley on campus. He sees Buffy and he approaches her and he's like, sorry about last night. And Buffy says... I was rude. Like, she says, I'm sorry, I was rude. I just felt like being alone. Sometimes it's nice to be out by yourself at night. And I was like, Buffy, don't apologize, all right? You had every right to be alone on the bench. Like, he doesn't have to come and manhandle you for that. If if things were in a regular situation, right? <laughs> if you both didn't have secrets and were trying to hunt the same person. So, Riley says... I hear that, but you got to be careful. There's a lot of strange people out there. And Buffy's like, oh, yeah. And Riley very nicely asks about Willow, right? He's like, how's Willow doing? And Buffy's like, she's okay. Uh, There's a stupid fraternity prank on our dorm that didn't help any. And Riley's like, oh, yeah, I forgot you guys lived in Stevenson. And he says that him and Willow had been working on a project. And he doesn't know know how it's going to work out yet. 
So <laughs> Buffy says, last night you had a, something you wanted to tell me or ask me. And he's like, oh, yeah, very important stuff. I don't remember, I don't remember any of it now, but you would have been fascinated, possibly even moved. Did Willow tell you I like cheese? And Buffy's like, you're a little peculiar. And Riley smiles and says, I can live with that because he knows what peculiar means. And uh, they keep talking and walking and they walk out into the daylight, into the daytime. And that's the end of the episode. So that's symbolic, right? Because mm-hmm. what could Buffy not do with her previous boyfriend? She couldn't have sex with him. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. She couldn't walk in the daylight because he was a vampire. Yeah, he was a vampire. Which we're still getting used so this to. So <laughs> this is the episode, right, promising more for Buffy, right? It's like, if you get with Riley, look at what you can have that you couldn't have with Angel. A simpler life. Right? A simpler life, a simpler guy. Nice farmhand life on <laughs> Iowa soil. Making pies for the weekend <sighs> fair. What a life to have. Uh, who's your hero? Well, it's not Xander, even though once again, you know, ever <laughs> since the freshman, he's been pretty good, I gotta say. Uh, he wasn't that bad in this episode. What was that little taste of jealousy we saw? What, do you see what I yeah, see? Yeah, but I, I... No, I agree with you. Yeah. I just... I don't feel like... For all the things Xander has done, I don't feel like that's that bad. No, you know? but it was weird that it's popping up here. Just a little... Like, it's been I mean, four he's, years, he's my friend. Just, it's not going to happen. So, he's so bored. He's so bored. He's so bored. You know? He's so bored. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm really, I'm really delighted to slide on that. Uh, so, But no, Xander's not my hero. I would say... Buffy's my hero with an honorable mention to Harmony because she's ultimately the one who tells us that Spike is back in town. Ooh, I love that. I'm I'm with you all the way. It was hard for me to pick one. I was going to say Buffy because I guess like it's a weird episode. Yeah, like Buffy, <laughs> like her whole like I'm the plan, you know, she yeah. is heroic in this episode. It's not her fault that Riley gets in the way. Yeah. Finding that slutty outfit, which wasn't even that slutty, like that good for her, honestly. It was. That was a nice outfit, though. I'd wear that outfit. No, no, it's nice. It's, it's just not slutty. I was like, what's slutty about this? It's slutty for like 2000s TV. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was you could see tight. her bare back, Steph. Damn. What a skank. Yeah. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let's move on to our hot steaks, shall we? Hell yeah! So our first hot steak is from Shans, who wrote in about the harsh light of day, and she she says the Vikings arrived in North America centuries before Columbus and had a settlement in Canada in one thousand twenty one A.D. So this could have been one of the potential ways that the gem of Amara came to North America, because I believe in that episode, Cara, you and I were speculating about. How the gem got there, you know, obviously Sunnydale was created 100 years ago. So obviously it's been there a long time. So awesome. There's a little bit of history for us to figure yeah, out I, exactly I liked it when. Because it's consistent with what we heard in that episode, which is the gem of Amara is from the 10th century. So the 900s. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the vampires were searching for it. Maybe there were vampire Vikings. That actually sounds really cool. Ooh, we need that show immediately. Our next hot stake is from Eden who writes into us as a TA who is currently in the California university system. So Mm -hmm. Eden really has a a specialist perspective to offer us about power imbalance. I think everybody knows where this is going. (laughs) Um, So with regards to Riley possibly dating Buffy, an undergraduate student, Eden says, maybe this was more of a taboo and less 
a hard and fast rule back in Buffy's day. But Riley's peers and supervisors should have been advising Riley against this relationship instead of egging him on or laughing it off as puppy love. As much as we eventually start to hate her, Professor Walsh would be totally right to discourage the relationship, though in a far more professional, neutral way than she might otherwise, right? And yeah, like, clearly from what we've seen of Professor Walsh so far, if she does find out about Buffy and Riley, she's going to react the way she reacted earlier in this episode. Mm -hmm. So Eden goes on to say, Apart from the creepiness of Forrest and the rest of the initiative bros, there's the, the bros again, it's not just you, Steph, um, <laughs> planning how to get enough hot chicks at their parties, the show totally misconstrues the differences between grad students and undergrads. We don't live in dorms. We don't party with undergrads. And we definitely can't afford d dining hall plans. <laughs> The misogynistic comparing notes scene where Forrest asks Parker about Buffy's sexual performance? Please! We're too stressed figuring out how to pay exorbitant Californian rent, provide for ourselves and our families, and save money for research all on our measly stipends to bother with that kind of crap. Then again, I guess the initiative guys don't really have those funding issues, so they aren't a great representation of grad students in general. The show really should have just made them senior undergrads who all belong to the same frat and maybe even participate in the campus ROTC program. Nice. I really, I just, I really appreciate that perspective, you know, and, and I agree. Like, it's creepy, and, and we can comment on this later on as we see how this relationship unfolds. But, yeah, it's not just that Riley is, you know... a, a a graduate student right but he's a graduate student in a class that buffy's in like he is giving marks on her papers this yeah. is you know th th this is wrong so yeah, yeah, yeah i'm yeah. curious to see if that comes up in the show also we don't know how old riley is is he i mean certainly younger than angel but is he 22 22 right. or 23 perhaps uh yeah i'd say he's probably like yeah, 23, 24, right? Because he's gone through undergrad, so he's in, like, the first or second year of his graduate program, probably. Yeah, so I would say um, he's... I would pin him at 23, 24. Um, yeah, that's not it, that bad, though. Like, it, when you're it, in college. When you're in college, it's not that bad, but, like, I don't know. Buffy's 18. She's a freshman, so no wonder her friends are... Say, his friends are, like, I don't want to see you. not any worse than Cordelia and Wesley, right? Like It's not any worse. I, hey, we've seen worse on this show. Like, we we, we have. I don't want to talk about age gaps ever again <laughs> on this show <laughs> but we can talk about the power dynamic between buffy because because it is true that riley is grading buffy's paper is a, a mentor to her in a lot of ways for this class so hell yeah uh-oh uh okay so we're gonna finish things off with a deleted scene written by our listener casey at my request so thank you so much for humoring us casey so this uh scene is spike meeting harmony um, because we never got to see that in Harsh Light of Day, and I was just so curious, how did that happen? So, here we go. <laughs> well, looky here, the Slayer's stumbling my way. What a treat. Running away from a fight, tisk tisk. And this is Ryan, the architect, <laughs> or the construction manager. He says, a boss? I don't think that's her. Spike punches Ryan in the face for questioning him, and as Harmony gets closer, Spike realizes he's wrong. Oops, my bad. Go and find me that crypt. I'm going to go eat. So Spike hides behind a tree, ready to pounce. And Harmony is talking to herself. She's saying, 
Oh, I can't believe that bitch bit me. Now I'm going to have a scar on my, on my trip to France. Guess I'll just have to buy a bunch of chokers. Oh, accessories. God, I hate Buffy. This is all her fault. She ruins everything. Her and that Willow and, and that short little boyfriend of hers, whatever his name is. They're so weird. I swear, if I ever see them again, I'll kill them. I'm really dizzy. Am I? Why am I bleeding? I got blood all over my new dress. I think you look hot even in all that blood especially in all that blood. I know, right? Who are you? So you hate Buffy? Me too. She's the reason my girl left me. Who's your girl? Her name is Drusilla, and she was the best thing to ever happen to me. But she's gone now. Oh, well, that sucks. Who would leave such a blonde teddy bear like you? I would never leave you. Is that so? Too bad I'm leaving for France tomorrow, or else I would help you forget all about what's-her-face. Spike snaps and is now in his vampire face. Her name was Drusilla. Harmony falls back, startled and weak. Spike's back in his normal face and says, Maybe we can leave together and talk about getting our revenge on the Slayer. Who? Never mind. You don't look good. Why don't you come with me and lie down? I'll take care of you. You're nice. And Harmony passes out. Spike takes her to the tunnels and turns her there. The end. Praise Malek. Praise Malek. I do want to decipher a little bit about this scene because I really love the idea that, that Spike, Spike turns was, Harmony? That he turns her and that he was also already in Sunnydale looking for this crypt. Like he's been there underground and he succeeded yeah. at being underground. Yeah, there, there's all a lot summer. going on in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, and, I like yeah. That. What got me was the idea that Spike turns Harmony, which is not established in the show. So I really like that Casey, you know, you threw that in there. And it, it, it's nice because it does kind of say, like, this is this is what brought me to the idea of, like, huh, Spike is really using Harmony as a Buffy proxy. Yeah. Yeah. In any way that he can. Right. So I like the mm -hmm. idea that he's already kind of there and that he saw an advantage and he took it. So great job, Casey. More, more, more. We love these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is that was really fun. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I just want to say a quick apology. It was pointed out to me by one of our listeners that I made a glib comment uh, near the end of Fear Itself. <laughs> I can't remember the episode. <laughs> yeah, Fear Itself. Um, about, that was insensitive towards eating disorders. So I just want to apologize. I really appreciate when our listeners call us in about these kinds of mistakes. Yes, thank you. We we always are here to listen and to learn and to be called in. Thank you. And we, so thank you to all of our listeners, especially our Buy Me A Coffee supporters. We have two new supporters to thank this week. Thank you, Holly, as well as Erica. We really appreciate your support. Uh, thank you to all of our chosen ones. Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Molly, Taza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, and Erica. Bye. Boo. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!